welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Neil Grabham, Customer Service Director from East Midlands Railway. I always love catching up with Neil as he is one of the most positive and practical people I know, and I'm sure that you will find some inspiration in here too. So let's crack on. Good morning, Neil. It's great to see you. Thank you for joining me on the Intuitive Insights, um, the second podcast in the series of 10. It's an absolute joy to see you, and uh, I really do appreciate you uh, joining me. So, Neil, you're Customer Services Director for East Midlands Railway, and uh, I'm keen to hear more about your role, what you do now, but also um, I want to hear all about your career. How did you get into rail? Tell me from day one, how did you get to where you are today? Wow. Okay. So, so firstly, good morning, Nina, and thank you for inviting me along. Um, wow. Uh, how long have you got to talk through my, my career to date? So, um, so if I, if I go back to, to, to my very early career, I was, I was a retailer by heart. That's, that's where my career started. So I spent, um, probably 20 years in the retail environment, working in both food and um, high street retail. Um, I'd like to think I I had some some really exciting moments in in retail. So for example, um, I worked with Lidl's, um, Lidl food stores, um, which polarizes opinion. Um, But but I worked with Lidl's when they first came across into the UK. Um, No stores were open um, and I opened their uh, 11th store um, in, in, in a place in, in, in West Wales uh, called Britain Ferry, um, just between Neath and Port Talbot. Um, so I started my, my, my kind of food retailing career with Lidl's. And the great thing about Lidl's at that time was it was it was unbelievably exciting, a rapid, fast pace of change, growing, you know, um, opening stores every single week. So opportunity came fast if, if you were able to um, if you were able to commit to working hard and delivering a good level of performance. Um, so I became an area manager with Lidl's and, and then um, had the opportunity to open, I would guess, 20 or 30 different stores across South Wales. Um, and then I was given a chance to move into their head office and I had a, a wonderful job and it's, it's, it's something that I, I, I think probably more organizations should, should, should do. Um, I was working in a talent pool of people, but as an assistant to the board of directors, um, and that essentially meant I could be given any project that any of the board of directors would want me to do. Um, uh, uh, but it gave me an opportunity to really understand how, when you're talking and, and, and feeding into, into a board, you know, it gave me a chance to think about my own persona, my profile, and also sort of the sort of, um, uh, work and projects that uh, that I was delivering for them. So I worked as an assistant to the board of directors. Um, I became, uh, as a result of that, Lidl's first national logistics manager. Um, so I was the, the first logistics manager for them. So I oversaw um, the operational warehouses at the time. They had three warehouses and, and opened uh, two further warehouses. Um, and then I became a regional director for Lidl's as well, um, working in the Western Supermare region um, running my own depot, um, property teams, and um, about 80-odd stores, I think, at the time. So a really rapid um, career progression. I had a career in 10 years with Lidl's, loved every minute of it, um, but um, took took an opportunity to take a step back, actually, um, deliberately to, to invest in me for a while because that career came fast, um, and some of the learning that you need to... to um, to, to, to properly develop yourself as a leader probably hadn't been um, hadn't been put in place. Um, so I wanted to reflect on my leadership style and my leadership persona a little bit as well. So I, I took a step back, joined H Samuels, um, high street retail, right. selling face to face. 
uh, absolutely loved it. Was never passionate about jewelry. I'll, I'll put that out there now. Um, my passion is people, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that um, later. Um, and I was very happy working for H Samuels. Um, I was working in central London, um, so I, I was, you know, on Oxford Street with the with the stores there. Westfield, Stratford um, was another one of my stores. Um, and a gentleman by the name of Andrew Goodrum, who was the customer services director for Greater Anglia. Um, somehow found me and, and to this day I don't really know how he found me um, but he but he approached me and um, talked to me about a really exciting project that they had in Greater Anglia it was at the very early days of the Greater Anglia franchise looking to um, to create much more of a customer-centric organization uh, and really help to to put the customer first um, in in terms of the way that they operated um, and Andrew sold it to me in a really compelling vision very quickly um, and I joined the railway um, so that was that was about seven years ago um uh, and a i can't believe it's gone so fast because this is the thing about the railway it all moves so fast but 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 secondly you know I, i've loved every minute of, of being part of the railway and I, I just wish if there was one thing i could have done i would have joined it earlier if i'd have known about the railway earlier i would have got involved far sooner yeah wow i did not know that about you h samuel yeah absolutely yeah yeah. well i've now got visions of andrew trawling around jewelry stores in central london looking for this this person so i reckon i probably sold him a ring at some stage i must have done a good job and that was it (laughs) he he wanted me to join the railway what a great story i love that story and so seven years later Mm. at east mids doing the customer services director role um in what has been let's face it quite an interesting period of time for the railway and certainly so so you and I joined around about the same time it was January 2013 when mm-hmm. I launched Intuitive and um and I at the point at that point my view was there's lots of change and transformation needed to go on here um I think we've got an industry sector which has been doing great based on the technical competency um but the whole customer piece mm-hmm. had perhaps not been as developed as it could be certainly kind of seven or eight years ago sure um that has has definitely moved forward i've been able to see that just in discussions i have with clients when we're taking a, an assignment brief you know the customer piece is definitely coming more to the fore um but lots of change happening but perhaps not at the pace as we've seen it then for the last seven months clearly things have accelerated somewhat and we're, we're moving into this new space but before we go on to talk about the state of play Tell us more about your role now, Neil. What do you do day by day, week by week? Okay. What do you what does your role at East Mids entail? Yeah, so so as you say, I'm the customer services director for East Midlands Railway. And um, I was brought into East Midlands Railway at the start of, of, of the franchise when Abelio took over the franchise. So that was August uh, 2019. Um, and it was it's a fantastic opportunity and I'm hugely grateful to um, to Julian Edwards um, who, who was the MD interim MD of, of East Midlands Railway and, and he took the decision to bring me into his team so um, I've got to plug out for Julian straight away uh, hugely grateful to him um, in terms of in terms of um, my, my responsibilities I've got quite a broad portfolio and the first decision I had to make was what do I call myself? So um, the first debate is always, are you customer services director or are you a customer experience director? Um, I took a view that said, um, I'm customer experiences, sorry, I'm customer services, but um, 
I have a, a customer experience team that work for me as well. And for me, there's a very distinct difference between the two that needs to be recognized. So customer services for me is all about being able to influence a customer's journey in the moment. And I, I have a responsibility for my station teams. So we have ni 91 stations, um, uh, yeah, a, huge, a huge team of people uh, on a day-to-day -day basis who will be doing their best to keep the trains moving, but will interact with the customers, both in terms of ticket offices, selling tickets and, and assisting customers along their way on their journeys. I also have a responsibility for my onboard um, teams as well. So that's my senior conductors, my train managers, the catering offering on board. Um, and every one of those individuals has that opportunity to, um, to delight a customer uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. That's the customer service element, the day-to-day -day piece. We also have a huge team in the background that work really hard on developing our customer experience strategy. So I have um, strategy managers that, that, that are always looking uh, and trawling through data and customer feedback, looking for insights and ways that we can improve. I have a customer contact center. Um, so uh, if we get things wrong, um, we need to learn from those uh, and make sure that we, we we turn those detractors into positive promoters of the railway um, through a positive experience, even when maybe they've come to us with a complaint initially. Um, and I've also got teams that, that, that maintain things like, you know, assets and facilities and look after revenue protection. So a big portfolio. But I chose to call myself customer services director for the simple reason I have that opportunity every day as well. I see customers. I talk to customers every day. Um, and I want to remind myself that in those interactions with customers, you know, I have that opportunity to delight them as well and I think it's something we should all do um, no matter what our, our job is in the railway we should all try and do that every single day yeah absolutely that's really useful um kind of differentiation between the two and and taking looking at the strategy but then looking at the frontline piece and the, the fact that they both have to knit together absolutely um that has to what one has to support the other um so thank you for that um as we've said an interesting period of time the railway has an opportunity and depending on who you listen to or which trade journals you read um we've got 12 to 18 months to get this right yeah. so it has been it's it's it has been an incredible period of time unprecedented has been a very overused word but that it has been what it is obviously moving forward neil what mm -hmm. do you think are the opportunities for the rail industry? What what what's ahead of us that we can really grab hold of and make it work for us? Sure, and it's 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 really pleasing to hear you um, to use the word opportunity because I think that's really important. You know, we we all know that the railway has gone through an unprecedented period of change, and right now where we are with you know probably customer volumes at about twenty five percent of what of, of where they were in a pre COVID world is certainly not a place that we would want to remain, and it's probably unsustainable for the railway. So so we know that we face a huge period period of challenge and change um, but it's an opportunity to get it right isn't it and that's how we have to look at it and this is what I, I, I'm constantly um, referring back to with my teams if, if you looked at the railway maybe in January of 2020 and um, you know at that time the challenges that we faced were to do with um, punctuality constant disruption to a service um, probably over tight timetables that had very little resilience in them um, unpopular ticket buying facilities um, inflexible uh, ticketing options um, and customers who were telling us in their droves that they were dissatisfied but probably didn't really have an option other than to travel with us mm. if somebody in january had said to me how about we give you 12 to 18 months where we take away a lot of that pressure 
obviously there are going to be other things that you're going to have to deal with but we're going to take away a lot of that pressure and we are going to give you an opportunity to properly listen to your customers and build back the railway in a really positive customer focused way we would have we would have snapped their hands off and said this is this is fantastic let's 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 do this and let's do it properly so i think we have this huge obligation now um, to get it right um, i don't think it's something that that needs to be rushed into and i think and you'll probably hear me say this quite a few times as we talk today nina what is absolutely paramount is that we continue to listen to our customers and understand how their needs and priorities around rail travel are changing as a result of maybe some of the experiences through the COVID pandemic. And we make sure that we integrate that into our future solutions and vision for the railway. Because what I'm certainly seeing in customer feedback and customer data now in terms of their priorities is very different to maybe January of 2020. Um, And so we need to get that bit right and we need to get that bit in place. But a really, really positive opportunity to start to build a railway that has that customer focused at its centre. And and I'm not sure that we've always, we've always alluded to it. I don't think we've always delivered it. No, fair point. And and this is one of the things that I really enjoy about our conversations, Neil, is that you are are always so positive, um, but practical. I love I, that. That is a powerful combination. Um, and you make a really good point in terms of, of listening to the customer and, and having that as our focus. So I'm going to just kind of for a moment dive into my fairy godmother outfit and uh, produce my magic wand and say, Neil, I'm going to give you three wishes. And these three wishes you can use over the next period of time to give us the railway that the customer deserves at the end of it. What would those three wishes be? Okay, so so I think I've already alluded to the first one, haven't I? Um, it's about listening. So my my first wish would be for smaller mouths and bigger ears uh, <laughs> on the railway. That 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 absolutely would be um, my my first. I think there's a lot of well-intentioned, um, experienced, and knowledgeable people who work within the rail industry. Um, uh, but I but I'm I'm nervous at the moment, Nina. If I'm honest with you, that a lot of solutions are almost being served up to us. Um, and, and I'll go back to what I said earlier about customer priorities are changing and we need to involve our customers and listen to what they want now in a post-COVID world. So I'll give you some examples. Um, we we as, um, uh, at EMR, we committed early on um, when, when COVID landed and, and we went into lockdown. We made a commitment that said we wanted to get more customer feedback, even though we'd have less people traveling. Um, so we so we so we strengthened um, all of the avenues that we that we have to get customer feedback post travel uh, into into our um, insight managers, so we could start to properly understand what COVID meant to customers. And what we've seen is that. Um, the traditional list of priorities, which would always start with punctuality first, and then you know second would probably be value for money, and then you've got information and managing disruption. That traditional flow of, of customer priorities has massively changed. So for example, now in the last three weeks, and we've seen this constantly rising, cleanliness is now more important to our customers than punctuality. It's number one in terms of their priorities. And we know that that is a, um, a reflection of concern around COVID, but it really does show us that in a post-COVID world, when we're trying to build that railway back, you know, we have to really think about you know, the, the measures that we put in place to demonstrate to customers that it's safe from a, a COVID cleanliness perspective to travel with us. Mm-hmm. So that's that's all about visible cleaners. That's that's new ways of cleaning. That's that's using social media to advertise some of the really great work that goes on overnight in all of our depots. You know, whether that's fogging or antibacterial cleaning or whatever it is. 
we, we've we've got to be able to respond to that new demand and listen to what the customers are telling us. Um, the other thing that's coming out loud and clear is is is, is safety and trust. Yeah. Now that's not traditional safety in terms of seeing more BTP offices on, on, on the ground. Mm-hmm. That's safety in terms of seeing staff who are, who are there to be able to reassure them about rail travel. And, and trust is massively built into this whole pre-journey information um, uh, need, which has been strengthened as a result of, of, of the COVID pandemic. So we know, for example, our customers now who are researching us on the websites are spending up to 22 minutes looking on our websites that's more than double what they used to spend. Um, and that's not buying tickets. That's looking for reassurance around safety and, and, and building trust that, that we're a, an organization they can trust to get them from A to B, but in a safe way. So, so this small mouths, big ears is a big thing for me because customers are telling us in lots of ways that they have a new set of priorities. And we need to make sure that that is incorporated into the maybe the, some of the established templates that we had for railway uh, transformation. We have to merge the two. If we just do the one that existed pre-COVID, we're going to miss a huge opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Good one. I like that. So, yeah, well, I've, oh, I've got three, haven't I? I've got You've two got more to three. go. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I've been generous. <laughs> okay, so my second one, um, and, and, and this is a bit of a, a campaign and a crusade, I think, for me. I, I think I would, if I could change something overnight, I would like to see a railway that becomes more diverse and socially inclusive um, and, and better represents the communities that it serves. And, and I genuinely think, and I know certainly from an East Midlands perspective, we have a lot of work to do in that area. Um, I think we are decades behind other industries. Um, and unfortunately, it's not going to be the, the sake of you being able to grant me that wish. It's going to take an, an awful lot of work and, and, and a proper process and strategy to deliver this. But we have got to be committed to building a more diverse and socially inclusive culture within our railway and also attracting customers into our railway as well. Yeah, completely agree completely agree there's a lot to done a lot to be done a lot has been done um uh, but we're still nowhere near yeah no absolutely a lot more work to be done so that's that would be one um third third okay i'll give you a selfish third wish my selfish third wish would be for a high-speed rail link between norwich where i live and derby where i work (laughs) um so that would be good i think 60 minutes would be acceptable um okay. but, but 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 yeah uh, it, it takes me a lot longer than 60 minutes to travel to work so I'm that would be my third wish well we'll very much hope that the um the secretary of state listens into the podcast neil and squeezes you in before the That's, spending review happens let's just squeeze that major and, and, project in for neil you heard it first uh, it was, you heard it first here um Fantastic. i suspect the other two might be slightly easier to deliver but you never know <laughs> brilliant thank you for that so I know this is kind of going against your natural um, style, because as I've said, you know, you are one of the most positive people that I know. Um, but there's, yes, there are lots of opportunities. There's going to be challenges as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What's the biggest risk? What might trip us up? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, and I think it, it probably goes back to some of what I've already said. I think they're... they're there is there is a real risk that, that we could be over complacent um, within the industry that we've already found what we think are the answers and and Williams obviously we, we we're still not totally cited I don't think on 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 the whole Williams review and the recommendations included within it um, but we definitely need to sense check that 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 is still appropriate in a post COVID world with all of the change that has landed on the railway so quickly so I think there's a danger that. <clears throat> 
you know, we could become overly complacent that we already know all of the solutions. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think, I think there's a real risk that um, we don't properly invest in building back customer confidence. So um, by that, I mean, um, we shouldn't just think that when the country starts to open back up, as it will do, um, and we should all have every confidence that's going to happen, we shouldn't just assume that, that you know, the lifeblood of the railway, which has been our commuter business, um, <clears throat> flock back to us and, 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 and are, are really, you know, happy to be back on the railway. I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to have to work extremely hard to, to win back um, both the confidence, but also the loyalty of these, these, these customers um, and demonstrate to them um, that rail travel and traveling to the office um, is actually an attractive proposition as opposed to home working, which everyone has now kind of adjusted to. So there's a real risk there, again, that we can be we, we can be too complacent. Um, I think <clears throat> I think the other thing that we you know we definitely need to watch out for as well is that um, when I reflect on how we've worked in the last seven months, one of the things that's happened is it, I feel like it's brought the industry together. So there's been fantastic collaboration between TOCs. Um, I've probably been on more teams meetings talking to um, my opposite numbers across across other, other other railway operators more than I've ever been. Um, we're closer probably to the DFT, RDG, Transport Focus, and we've all kind of, as you would expect in a crisis, we're good in a crisis on the railway, aren't we? We've okay. all pulled together um, and we've demonstrated that we can work together um, effectively and, uh, and generate um, a change agenda quickly so we, we we've proven that we can do those things my fear i guess would be that in a in a post-covid world as things settle we we lose that collaboration and we go back into working insular in our own little silos as as groups or as as single talks um, and we stop sharing the best practice and we go back to doing what we were doing before which is this whole we all knew what the problems of the railway were but we all worked on our own individual solutions um, and that's that's a waste of resource uh, and and also um, it's, it's a waste of everybody's time because the great learn for me coming out of COVID is, you know, by, by sharing best practice quickly across the industry, we've been able to change across the industry, across the whole country, almost overnight. Yeah. So, so if we can continue to, 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 to keep open those avenues of collaboration, working closer with Network Rail, working closer with our colleagues, um, that's going to help us. And if we lost that, that would be a major risk, I think, to the change. Yeah, that's such a good point. Really good point. And it's, and it's come out, it's interesting, actually, it's come out a few times this week. Mm. Um, I was on a, a um, RIA webinar yesterday with Ruth Hallant, um, DG for Rail at um, DFT, as you'll know. And it was one of Ruth's very first comments on the webinar was about the collaboration that's been happening between the industry and the department. And she really wants to hold on to that because it's moved away from the them and us thing. It's a, mm. we're all in this together. So that's a, it's a really good point we've made. Yeah, and it's been really interesting to see um, you know, we've all because we're all plunged into the in, into this crisis at you know exactly the same time, same time, and face the same same challenges. Where I, I I've really seen um, you know the, the, if you like the the organisations around the industry, so the DFT, RDG, Transport Focus, really come to the fore. Has been helping us to to, to you know, facilitate those groups of people, um, get us all onto a Teams meeting. I would have said in, into the same room, but we can't do that at the moment. But yeah. get us onto a Teams meeting um, and properly discuss and share what we're doing. Doing. Um, and I've been amazed that that you know 
I've learned a lot very quickly from, from, from other colleagues, um, but I've also been amazed at some of the things that m maybe we've solved in the world of EMR quite quickly in the last 12 months, other tops have still been wrestling with. Um, and, and, you know, if, if, you, if you park aside our individual loyalty to our, to our badge, um, and just for a moment, think about how we are driving that customer experience, to, to have customers in, in, in one area of our country not benefiting from, from processes that others have found um, and, and, and have delivered for their customers seems completely wrong, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, we've got to, you know, if someone gets a great idea and it works, let's get it across the industry quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Really good point. And you've, you've mentioned the word learning in there. Mm. Um, and that's the, the next area that I'd like to come on to, both from a professional and a personal perspective. Really interested to know um, what you've learned. It's been we've, we've been in a place as a as a world, as a country, as individuals within families and communities where everything was just turned on its head. Yeah. And we've all had a massive shock to the system. But so many people I'm speaking to, myself included, there's lots of things I'm doing differently. I've got a different view of the world to that that I had, you know, beginning of the year. I'm really interested to know, Neil, what, what you've learned. What are you doing differently? And, and dare I say it, what have you enjoyed? Has there, <laughs> there been good stuff? There will have been good stuff yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. So, so I, I can, I'll do the enjoyed bit first, and, yeah. and, and, I, and I'm not going to apologise for, for, for being slight, slightly selfish again here. Um, I, I've enjoyed elements of home working. I'm not going to deny that. Um, I, I work away from home. Um, you know, so four nights a, work, uh, a, a week, I'm away from home. I've got a six-year-old daughter. Um, it's been brilliant. It's been brilliant to, 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 to be at home and be around her a little bit more often. Yeah. Um, so, so there's been elements of, 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 of lockdown that have, have definitely been beneficial to me in my circumstances. So, um, so that's been good. I've personally yeah. enjoyed that. I think the the learn. I'm with you, Nina. You know, the learn has been huge. Um, and and I kind of I kind of went into lockdown, accepting that um, the way I operated as a leader was going to change, but not being completely sure what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, but open to to uh, explore new ways. I'm I'm very lucky. I, I lead a team. If you you know if if you want to look at the numbers, I lead a team of about 1,200 people uh, across the patch, um, and I've always prided myself on my visibility. So you know, and visibility predominantly has been getting out meeting people face to face you know doing your kind of out and about tours um, and, and and being seen to lead from the front. I haven't been able to do that um, for the last six or seven months. So I've tried to get out, you know, as often as I can, but we've had to obviously um, follow the government advice as well about, about home working where possible. So it's been, it's been a real compromise. Um, and I've had to explore completely new ways of maintaining my leadership profile and, and giving confidence to my team um, and, and, and embrace maybe some of the things that I was, I was pushing away a little bit, if I'm honest with you. So, you know, modern ways of communicating through vlogs and through social media uh, and do, doing the sort of thing that we're doing now, talking on a podcast. Um, you know, I could have done all of that probably um, before the, the COVID pandemic started but I was finding reasons maybe not to explore it and I was sticking to trad traditional methods of communicating with my team I think I have learned so much about how I can reach a broader audience quicker with with um properly um focused messaging um and and I've also understood that there's still a place for that face-to-face -face and it's still absolutely critical that we do that but you don't have to completely rely on that. So that's been a really interesting development for me um, and something I'm, I'm going to continue to chip away at and, and, and work on. Yeah, 
that's been a big thing hasn't it we we have started doing um interviews via skype so that that started for intuitive a couple of years ago um simply because we, i i do all of the final interviews before we present the shortlist to a client and there's only one of me and trying to get me in various different locations was it was just taking too much time so we'd switched to that um from an interview perspective but actually for client meetings, then I still did all of those face-to-face. -face. So four days of the week, I would be either, you know, I'd be in London, I'd be in Manchester, I'd be in Derby, I'd be in Glasgow, I'd be in Birmingham. And it's kind of, this has been a massive difference for me because I've been at home more, yeah. um, you know, eating dinner every night with, with my family, which has been great. Um, but I, I am really looking forward to getting back out there again. Not four days a week. That won't mm -hmm. happen. I will use this technology much more than I, than I did before. Um, we've all got used to it now, and it's, it's a great way, and it's much more efficient, obviously. But I am really missing that kind of human contact, being yeah. in the same physical space as somebody else. Yeah, no, I completely get that. I think, yeah. um, you know, when you, when you think about how effective Teams has now become, um, if, we'd have, if we'd have suggested in January that we wanted, the, you know, the operation, the business to be run predominantly through Teams meetings, people would have thought we were crazy Absolutely. and it couldn't have been done. And, yeah. and it, is, it is effective. Um, but I find, I don't know about yourself, I find Teams or Zooms meetings are, they're very, um, they're very focused meetings. And what I, what I miss is that, that the, those corridor conversations, you know, where you can, you can meet your colleagues and you can discuss stuff that's happening in their world for no, no other reason than the fact that you're interested. But yeah. you know what, you take so much away from that and suddenly you get a good idea. Uh, and suddenly from that, you know, a work stream develops uh, and, and things start to move, don't they? So I, I do worry sometimes that teams, a reliance on teams is going to stifle maybe some innovation because it's not the sort of format that is easy to innovate on. Um, and those casual conversations have just stopped, haven't they? Um, I don't see the colleagues as often um, as I used to. Um, so I definitely, I definitely am with you. I miss, I miss that connection. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, what else do I miss? I, yeah, I miss customers. I miss customers. You know, if, if, if one good thing has come out of this, um, it's reminded everybody on the railway that we exist to serve our customers and um, and maybe we were getting a little bit complacent about that because we were constantly in positions of over demand and overcrowding um you know but we exist for our customers and the railway is such a dull place without customers we've mm. we've, we've realized that haven't we so i massively miss our customers i want them back and we're gonna to have to work extremely hard to get them back yeah yeah i agree um some great stuff in here neil i always get inspired by our conversations <laughs> um and talking of inspiration um actually i did a lovely link for myself there what what's kind of coming to the end of our discussion what i'd really love to focus on is where you get your inspiration from and your motivation because yeah. when you're doing the type of job that you're doing with with over a thousand people in your team and whether you're doing it face to face or whether you're doing it over a team's call um, and through the messaging, through the blogs, through social media, you're passing out inspiration, you're energizing people. Where do you get yours from? Who fills you up and how do you do that? So wow. role models, leadership, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so I think if I, if I look at, I was going to say EMR, but actually if I reflect on, 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 um, on all of my all, all of my positions my 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 energy my inspiration always comes from the teams that i work with and around um and, and i've been very very lucky that um particularly in my railway career but certainly outside of rail as well i have worked with some extremely talented individuals and i think reflecting on rail generally there is some real talent in railway um 
sometimes hidden, um, but but some real talent in, in in railway who who all want to do a great job and who all come in and work extremely hard every day. And and those indiv- you know those people um, that, that that I work around and certainly in in, in my team currently, um, you know they inspire me. Um, and I commit every single day to wanting to be the best leader I can be for them um, because that's what they deserve. Um, I think I've I've been lucky that I've worked with some quite inspirational leaders as well not always I think we take a bit of, of everybody we work um, for with us don't we I think good and bad um, you kind of reflect on maybe some of your your, your poor leaders and think well I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have approached that situation in that way um, but the really good ones you kind of you, you you remember and you and and you aspire to be and there was a I will name him there was a guy outside of rail actually a fellow by the name of Trevor Oldroyd who was a, a, a sales operations manager for, for H Samuels uh, and I don't think Trevor, um, and this is this is probably a trait of great leaders. I don't think Trevor understands the impact he had in other people's worlds, because when I talk to the people I used to work with outside of um, work now, you know, the, the old crew I worked with in H Samuels, every one of them remembers Trevor Oldroyd and the impact he had on their world, because he was a he was a committed coach. He was a guy that wanted you to um, every day come in uh, and, and become a better leader, and he challenges. You know, he challenges us day in, day out to actually strive to do that. Uh, and he always used to, you know, some of those little snippets, I still hear him. You know, you greatly you hear them in the back of your head, don't you? You know, start with the end in mind. Um, what is it you're looking to achieve today and what you do you need to be? These are these were telephone coaching conversations I probably had a hundred times over with Trevor Oldroyd, but they, they resonate with me. Um, and he, he he challenged me to to really flex my leadership style and, and, and to understand the importance of, of being both authentic, but understand what individuals need from you as well. Um, and and I, I try and I try and take that with me. So he was he was a guy definitely. I think the other thing that I I, I should give a nod to and, and willingly will give a nod to is is the um you know the true strength of leadership within the railway that I've worked with. So within the Abellio Group, um, I've been very fortunate and at Greater Anglia when I worked there. You know with the likes of Andrew Goodrum, Martin Moran, who's the commercial director, who who selflessly um you know championed my case to 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 uh, to move up within the industry even though obviously Greater Anglia had a huge amount of work on Jamie Bowles um, a great leader of people as a managing director and now moving into EMR the likes of, of Julian Edwards and Will Rogers I've worked with some great people um, and I consider myself very fortunate actually yeah there are there are some fantastic leaders in the industry absolutely agree with you on that um, so those are some traits that that you can um, that you've identified that have been positive and things that you would want to emulate. What about something that um, and you've alluded to it yourself? There are some leaders that we don't want to emulate. There are yeah. some things that we think, well, I would never do that. What would be one thing that you could say to us that is, I well, actually, no, that's that's not how I would want to lead a team. So I think it's I think it's something I've had to learn to do. Um, so. Um, you know the way I set my teams up now is is, is very much that um, I, I assemble teams of, of, of passionate individuals with with real talent, um, and then I trust them to do to do a great job. Yeah. Um, uh, and 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 probably you know when I was younger um, and um, and learning my trade as as a leader of people, you have this you have this tendency, don't you, to 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 look to over control, um, uh, and and that actually stifles people's innovation um it, it frustrates them i've been on the receiving end of that of somebody who always wanted to work well and and, and work hard um you know if, if you're micromanaged um to um 
too much it becomes a negative um for you and you look you look for alternatives don't you so so i've had to learn i think to um to, to give my teams the freedom to to show me that they are exceptional yeah. um and and that's what i i i i encourage the guys that work for me uh, to do with their teams as well now uh, and and do you know what i'm not disappointed i'm very rarely disappointed these you know people who work for us are, are talented individuals who are just as passionate as we are about doing a good job um and it's fantastic when you're surprised by the levels that they actually achieve yeah yeah i love that freedom to show me that they are exceptional i <laughs> use that it's brilliant um and so so that's a great quote and i love that and i will attribute that to neil grabham thank you very um, much what about another quote? Leave, leave us with a favourite quote of yours, Neil, that is something that you that you turn to that energises you or inspires you or actually just kind of makes you think. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, so, so I, yeah, I'll, I'll pick you one out. But I, I, I don't know if you do this. I, I, I follow on Instagram, you know, um, motivational quotes. I'm always looking at stuff on a daily basis to kind of pick me up if I'm having a bad day. There's one, there's one quote that kind of resonates with me. It was probably more applicable when we were in the dark days of customer disruption. You know, when you're dealing with thousands of people on platforms who you genuinely want to help, but you don't always have the answers for. And the quote is this, which it says, um, you can't always have a good day, um, but you can face a bad day with a good attitude. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you very much. It's all about choice, isn't it? At the end of the day, whatever happens, it's how we respond to it. So even if it is a bad day, you can choose to respond to it with a good attitude. I love that. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. I always love our conversations. You always leave me feeling much more positive. Um, and I'm a positive person anyway. So that's some achievement. Um, really huge thank you from me to you for taking part in the Intuitive Insights podcast. Um, I really do appreciate you giving your time. Um, huge thank you. Fantastic. You're very kind, Nina, and I've, I've definitely appreciated the opportunity, so thank you too. Brilliant. Excellent. My huge thanks to Neil. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please do let me know. The next episode of Intuitive Insights will be with you in two weeks' time, when I'm delighted to say that I'll be joined by Chris Birchall, the now former MD of Arriva UK Trains, who will be sharing his thoughts prior to taking up his new role with SSE as Managing Director of Distribution. It's bound to be a good one. Come and join us.